It's great to be starting a new series. We're going to um, be following a, a mini-series in the letter of Philemon. Um, could I have my screen, please? Thank you. Uh, just over this week and uh, the next couple of weeks. Now, whenever we read something from the Bible, we try to understand its background. And we do that probably in three ways, either consciously or subconsciously. So first of all, obviously, there's the text itself. But then secondly, there are things about the geography and history that are supplementary to the text that inform what that text means. And then thirdly, we use our own imaginations. So let me give you an example from the Sermon on the Mount. Probably we're all familiar with the Sermon on the Mount. The Bible gives us a summary of Jesus' teaching in Matthew 5-7. to it tells us it was on a mountainside. It tells us there were large crowds. That's, that's what we get from the text. From supplementary sources, like um, what we know about the geography and the history and so on and so forth, we, the, the picture becomes a little bit more clear. You know, we understand maybe how they dressed, what they ate, that kind of thing. And then the rest, we paint with our imaginations. So... Jesus says, or Matthew says, there was a crowd. Some of you are imagining a hundred. Some of you may be imagining a thousand or more. I don't know. But we use our imaginations to paint in some of the background. And we do all of that um, whenever we read the Bible, consciously or, con- or, or subconsciously. And we don't give the same weight to these factors, but they all come to play. So if we do that with Paul's letter to Philemon this morning, and if we use a bit of creative license, then it might go something like this. Philemon. Onesimus, 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 um, I just want to borrow something, oh, sorry, you're reading something, I can see, what are you reading? Um, it's, it's a letter, um, have a look, read it for okay. yourself. Thank you very much. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, I've heard of them, Paul was that missionary guy, wasn't he? He, he was, was amazing. Indeed. Yeah, he was an amazing guy. To Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, also to Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I know that's going to be a bit odd because it was written to someone else, not to me, but just, just carry on reading for the moment. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. Well, Philemon sounds like a decent guy, doesn't he? Philemon was a very decent guy, yeah. Therefore... Although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is as none other than Paul, an old man and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, 
that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. So you became a follower of Christ through Paul whilst he was in prison. Well, that's amazing. You never told me. There's all sorts of things I haven't told you, but yes, it, it was an incredible privilege to, to get to know Paul, and through him I came to know Christ. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. Well, how rude. Your name means useful, and he's calling you useless. Well, I'm going off this guy already. Well, ju- uh, just, just be patient. Just read on a bit further. I am sending him who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I'm in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favour you would do would not seem forced but would be voluntary. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother, a slave, but you're a bishop. How's that even possible? Is it true? Were you really this Philemon slave? Yes, I was. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me as a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. Yes, I've ran away from Philemon, my master, and I ran, well, ran, walked all the way from Colossae to Ephesus, over, over 100 miles. It took me six, seven days, and as the letter hints, I took some of his money as well. Well, I bet he deserved it, though. You wouldn't do that sort of thing. You're not that sort of person. Well, it's very kind of you to say so. I might not do it now, but then I wasn't a follower of Christ. So I was a different person then. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one thing more, prepare a guest room for me, because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Oh, what an amazing letter. How did it come to you? Well, Philemon um, realized that he was holding a document that was going to be really really valuable, you know, written by the old apostle Paul, in, inspired by the Holy Spirit. And he knew that we're coming to a time when we need to preserve that kind of thing, so he gave it to me for safekeeping. So how did it go when you got back to Philemon's house? He could have had you executed. Well, here I am, as you can see. Um, I'll probably tell you the story one day, but um, it's quite a long one. But in the meantime, I think you said you wanted to borrow something? Oh, yeah. So hopefully with your uh, detective minds, you've pieced together some of the story around um, Philemon and his runaway slave, uh, Anesimus. And we'll, we'll come to the specific verses we're going to look at 
in a little bit. But before, before we do, um, some verses from Colossians. Paul wrote this. Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord. I'm sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. So as we piece together the story from the New Testament accounts, it appears that Tychicus and Onesimus carried two letters from Ephesus, which I think rhymes rather nicely, but that's neither here nor there. Um, And Ephesus is where Paul was most likely in prison at this time. So the first of those two letters was the letter that we know as Colossians. So it would have been taken to um, uh, the city of Colossae in what we now refer to as southern Turkey. And then the second letter was this little letter of Philemon, just one, one chapter to a specific individual, a convert from Paul's ministry. And that's the, the letter we're looking at today. Now, it wasn't unusual in those days for whole households to come to faith. If, if the, the head of the, the house came to faith and the rest followed, um, So probably this letter is addressed to not just Philemon, but the other people referred to, uh, Aphia, is most likely Philemon's wife, and Archippus is quite possibly Philemon's son. Uh, They also gave their lives to Christ along with Philemon himself. And they became the basis of a small Christian community in Colossae that met in Philemon's house. And what we have in Philemon is this tantalizing glimpse into the story of a runaway slave, Onesimus, who's now been converted and was going back to his master with this letter that we now have in our hands. And I think, um, from a human angle, we're dealing with rather an uncomfortable relational triangle. So we've got Paul... um, Who's, through whose ministry Onesimus has come to faith, but you know, he, he, can't, he can't hold on to this man's slave, however useful he is to him. We've got Onesimus, who ran away for some reason, we don't know why, but he's now come to faith, he's got a new set of values and principles. And we've got Philemon, who's out of pocket of a slave. So an awkward triangle, I think. But the gospel changes the nature of our relationships. Paul says in Galatians 3.28, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ, Jesus. And what we see, I think, illustrated beautifully in the letter to Philemon is this truth. However, there is an elephant in the room, isn't there? Um, or maybe uh, an elephant in the cell. Why didn't Paul speak more forcefully against slavery? Why didn't he, you know, in this letter to Philemon, this was the chance, why didn't Paul say, slavery's wrong? Um, I'm sending Onesimus back, but it's my full expectation that um, you release him. Well, it wasn't for lack of courage. We know from other 
parts of our New Testaments, not just the letters, but some of the accounts of the things that Paul said and did, that he was a man of immense courage. So it wasn't for that reason, certainly. And I can't believe it was for lack of conviction either. Um, as he spelt out in that verse I read from Galatians and elsewhere in other parts of the New Testament, he was quite clear that he believed the gospel brought about a new leveling force in our relationship such that we are all on a single level. We can only guess why Paul didn't speak more against slavery and in this letter in particular. I, I have two, two thoughts and the first is that had he done so, it would have caused more harm than good. It would have been equivalent to protesting against the tax system, um, as one family in Tasmania did recently. Now, as one author writes, even if all Christians of Paul's day were suddenly to release their slaves, it's by no means clear that the slaves themselves or society in general would benefit a large body of people suddenly unemployed in the ancient world might not enjoy their freedom as much as they would imagine. So there may have been a very practical reason why Paul didn't go right to the nth degree with uh, his views on slavery. But a second reason is that Paul didn't speak strongly about slavery because he was more concerned sorry, less concerned with overthrowing the social structures of his day than he was in teaching Christians to live Christianly within those social structures. And in this he modeled Jesus. So Jesus didn't command his followers to overthrow the Roman oppressors. What Jesus did was teach them how to live as followers of God in the context of an oppressive system. So what does it mean for Onesimus to live Christianly as a slave? And what does it mean for Philemon to live Christianly as a master? Those, I think, are the questions that are uppermost in Paul's mind as he's writing this letter. And here's where we come to the heart of it, because Paul addresses Philemon as his partner. Two verses make this very clear. Verse 6, I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. And then verse 17, if you consider me a partner, welcome him, that's Onesimus, as you would welcome me. So Philemon and Paul and Paul are partners in the gospel. Philemon knew that, but Onesimus has now become Paul's partner in the gospel too. So that means that even though in the eyes of the law, Philemon and Onesimus are master and slave, in the eyes of the gospel, they are partners, partners together. And if we here this morning are followers of Jesus Christ, then we too are partners in the gospel. Remembering that the gospel in its broadest sense is good news for all people in all of life's circumstances. So earlier when Ken invited us to stand, and I think pretty much all of us did, and he asked that question, do you as a church and congregation accept your responsibility that whenever it's within your power, you'll witness to Amelie so that one day she'll come to know Jesus Christ as her Lord and Saviour and to support Maria and Andy as they raise her? And we said we do. He was making a partnership appeal and we were agreeing. 
we were agreeing that we were partnering with Andy and Maria in bringing up um, Amelie. And Philemon is at its heart a partnership appeal. And what I want to do in the time left to me this morning is just look at the first seven verses. You might want to have your Bible in front of you um, as we go through those. The first seven verses, uh, page 1200-1200 in the Church Bible if you want to follow um, and make five observations about partnership. Five simple observations about partnership. So the first is this, and it's a pretty obvious one. It's always good to start with the obvious, that partners don't go it alone. Just look at verse 1. Paul writes, with Timothy, to Philemon, his fellow worker. And then verse 2, to Aphia and Archippus, his fellow soldier. Incidentally, Archippus gets a very cryptic mention towards the end of Colossians. So if you get bored at any point during this morning's message, then just, just flick surreptitiously back to Colossians and have a look. But notice the language that Paul is using. Fellow worker with Timothy, fellow soldier. And then right at the end of the letter, verse 23. Greetings from Epaphras, his fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus. Verse 24, and from Mark, Aristarchus, Demas and Luke, his fellow workers. This is really a partnership letter. Why do people partner together? Well, because more can be accomplished, more can be accomplished together than can be accomplished on our own. And geese understand this, even though they may not use the language of partnership, because every year they migrate hundreds of miles using this well, not particularly this on this picture. It's a terrible illustration, actually. But um, you'll be familiar with the, uh, the, the, the kind of V formation that, that you know, you've, you've seen a flock of geese flying over, and they, they take turns, individual geese take turns to fly at the front and share the, um, the uh, pressure of flying against the, the wind. And because of that, because of that partnership arrangement, they can fly 70% further than they could otherwise. Chris and Rachel um, stood with Andy and Maria as significant friends, but anyone who stood in support um, of Andy and Maria was stating by uh, their actions that they understand that parent parenting is not a solo affair. Parents need help. Parents need support. They can't do it on their own. So that's the first obvious thing to say here is that partners don't go it alone. But secondly... Partners share the same needs before God. So having introduced himself, um, his senders, the recipients, Paul then goes on to a standard greeting at the start of his letter. Verse 3, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul begins all of his letters with grace and peace. I checked whether he's writing to Christian communities in Rome, Corinth, Galatia, Ephesus, Philippi, Colossae, or Thessalonica, whether he's writing to individual uh, young leaders like Titus and Timothy, or whether he's writing a letter to um, an individual friend like Philemon, he always blesses them with grace and peace. So that's got to be significant, isn't it? Grace means God's undeserved favour. God owes us nothing. So we all need God's grace. The Bible says that without God's grace, we cannot know him in the first place. So 
In Ephesians, Paul writes, it's by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. No one can say to God, I'm good enough. Welcome me in to your heaven. It's by grace we continue to receive what we need. And then peace, the Greek word for peace, doesn't just mean a kind of absence of stress and strife, but in addition, well-being and blessing. It's the Greek equivalent of the Hebrew shalom, that lovely word which means wholeness and well-being. And we all need that too, don't we? We all need peace, we all face trouble in this life. And it goes without saying that young parents in particular need peace um, in extra helpings. So we all share the same needs, partners share the same needs. Thirdly, partners share the same goals. So imagine you're chatting to Andy after the service this morning and you ask him what he wants for Emily when she grows up. And Andy says, I want her to become a professor lead a quiet life, I've got some academic papers ready for when she can read, and as soon as she's, you know, learnt her alphabet, this is what she's going to be doing. Very interesting, you think to yourself, and then you ask Maria the same question, she says, um, well, Emily is going to join the SAS, she's going to take some real risks, Um, I've already bought the camo gear and the boots, we're going up climbing Snowden as soon as she can walk, interesting. There might be some conflicts in their approaches to parenting. Possibly, I don't know. But partners share the same goals. Partners share the same goals. So Paul writes, I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Philemon wanted to grow in his love for God's people and in his faith in Jesus. How do we know that? Because it was happening. It was so evidently happening that Paul had heard about it. And Paul wanted what Philemon wanted. How do we know that? Well, for a start, because he gives thanks to God whenever he thinks about Philemon growing in his love and growing in his faith. And secondly, because those are two emphases in Paul's ministry. Our aim as a church is for people to commit to and become more like Jesus. How how does that happen? Well, people commit to Jesus by putting their faith in him, and they become more like him by growing in faith and love. So in other words, we too share Paul's goals and emphases. If you identify with CBC as a church, then you are partnering with us in working towards those same goals. Fourthly, partners seek each other's best. The football season has started. Hooray! I won't ask where the divide is in the church, but it started. It's it's off. And uh, many of you will recognise this particular individual on the screen here, Pep Guardiola, uh, one of the finest football managers in the world, I have to say. Um, And players talk about his ability to get alongside them and to get the very best out of them. And this is what Guardiola wants for not just his players, but his coaching staff and his backup team and everyone else. They all want to get the very best out of each other so that they can win the title again or 
win the Champions League for the first time or whatever it is they want to, to win. Paul continues, verse 6, I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. So he wants Philemon to grow in his knowledge of Christ and of what he has in Christ. And that was Paul's prayer for himself. As Paul prayed for the Philippians, um, sorry, as he wrote to the Philippians, he, he said, I consider everything trash, everything trash by comparison with knowing Christ. That for Paul was the best thing. To know Christ was the best thing, and that's what he prays for Philemon. And that's what partners do. Partners seek each other's best. And then finally, partners celebrate each other's success. If we can just put to one side for a minute the test match, just ignore that. Remember the World Cup, that was good, wasn't it? And, um, you know, the English cricketers at the close of the most dramatic World Cup ever, you know, they celebrated. But what did they do? They didn't just go along to the best batsman and say, oh, thank you for getting us through, or to the best bowler, oh, thank you for getting us through. They all celebrated together, obviously, because they're a team. They're partners in a team, and they celebrate each other's success. And Paul was full of joy and encouragement at Philemon's love, not because it benefited Paul himself, but because it benefited their shared cause, the gospel. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement, verse 7, because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. He was full of joy because of the impact of Philemon's love on other people. I wonder if we sometimes envy people their success maybe their family success or their workplace success or success in some other context. Whereas in, instead we should be celebrating with them in their success because that's what partners do. So from these opening verses of Paul's partnership prayer of thanksgiving, I suggest there are five things that we can take away this morning. So first of all, partners don't go it alone. It's not a go it alone world. We need each other. We need to help one another. Secondly, partners share the same needs. Uh, as believers in Jesus Christ, we all need God's grace. We all need God's peace. Thirdly, partners share, share the same goals. Do we, do we feel a connection um, with the church aim to, for people to commit to and become more like Christ? Or as it's expressed in a different way, in the letter to Philemon. Do we seek each other's best for the sake of the gospel? And do we celebrate each other's success? Are we kind of willing each other on? And when we hear some good news about someone else, that's great, that's fantastic. Rather than, oh, I wish, I wish that had happened to me. I wonder which of those five things we can take away from us this morning. We'll be looking at the rest of Philemon over the next couple of weeks or so. Um, but for now, let's just pray, and then I'll hand back to Rob to uh, lead us in our final songs. Heavenly Father, thank you for this uh, glimpse into history, um, this glimpse into Paul's uh, ability to influence people, the power of the gospel. Thank you, Lord, for this glimpse into the transforming power 
of the gospel in our relationships, how it, how it just affects us in, in such a powerful way. And thank you for the insights, Lord, that we have in this letter for what it means to be partners together. And I pray, Lord, that each of us will take away something, just one thing, that will uh, help us in our personal faith, personal faith, but also help us in our, as we share our faith journey together to encourage one another to celebrate each other's success, to be there for each other. In Jesus' name, amen.